Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. A lot of the focus in beer today focuses on the now, but there's a wealth of history that exists. And on the show today, I'm talking with Clint Lanier. He's the author of Ted Mack, an America's first Black-owned brewery, The Rise and Fall of People's Beer. But first, Funkfest is coming up on May 6th in Nashville. It's hosted by Embrace the Funk and Yazoo Brewing, and all about beer will be there to record conversations with leading brewers. Celebrate the world of funky, sour, and wild beer, along with mead, saison, and lagers from over 50 of the top breweries in the world. Funkfest continues to be a unique festival experience, providing a day of beer, food, and education like no other. Get your tickets now via Eventbrite or by visiting the Yazoo Brewing website. And also, mark your calendar for May 9th when Camp Raukbeer happens at Barik Brewing and Blending in Nashville. It's happening during the Craft Brewers Conference, but you need not be a brewing professional to attend. Starting at 4 o'clock, come enjoy smoky delights from a dozen of the country's best brewers. Plus, M. Souter is doing a Pints and Panels pop-up, and there's even going to be some live audience podcast recordings. Learn more by checking out This Week in Rauk Beer. You can search for the Facebook group uh, by searching This Week in Rauk Beer, or follow on Instagram and Twitter at TWRaukbeer. Don't forget, please go visit allaboutbeer.com for original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Beer Travelers, Brew to Brewer, and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do is supported by you. Please go visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer and you can help keep the content fresh. And a reminder that a few bucks goes a long way to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. If you would like to learn more about advertising on this show or any of our shows, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. There's some excellent history books about beer that exist in the world, and most will focus on broad categories, but there are some that do a deep dive into a single topic or person that really give us a sense of time, place, and purpose. There are often lessons to be learned about where beer is today by reading about the past. And one such book, is Ted Mack and America's first Black-owned brewery, The Rise and Fall of People's Beer. This is from the blurb on the back of the book. Born a sharecropper in rural Alabama in 1930, Theodore A., also known as Ted Mack Sr., fought in the Korean War and then played football at Ohio State while earning a college degree. Brewing and selling beer, he believed, would be just another peak to attain. After all, it couldn't be more challenging than his experiences organizing buses to the March on Washington or picketing segregated schools in Milwaukee. This book is the story of Mac's purchase of People's Brewing Company in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Though he had a carefully plan for the historic acquisition, he underestimated the subtle bigotry of middle America, the corruption of the beer industry, and the failures of the federal government that plagued his ownership. Mac's ownership of People's Brewing is an inspirational story of Black entrepreneurship, innovation, and pride at a time when America was still at an important racial justice crossroads. The author is Clint Lanier. He's an assistant professor of English at New Mexico State University in La Cruces, New Mexico. He's written about food, travel, history, and drinks, and his work has appeared in the Huffington Post, Eater, and Fooders. He joined me via Zoom. Here's our conversation. How did you first come to learn about Ted Mack? Um, so I, I, uh, I wrote another book in 2013 that came out called Bucket List Bars. And when that one came out, 
uh, I was kind of promoting it on Twitter and um, one of my followers sent me a link to an article and uh, said, you should write a book about this guy. And it was a, a very, you know, it was kind of a blog article. So maybe, I don't know, five or 700 words, something like that. And it was just, you know, the summary of the main thrust of the story, which is from 1970 to about 73 when he, when Ted uh, Mack bought people's beer and uh, or people's brewing. And um, I thought, man, that, that really is a good story, isn't it? And uh, so I just kind of put it off, but I, I kept returning to the story um, kind of dipping in and out of it. Uh, I'd find different blog articles or every now and then, uh, you know, a Wisconsin newspaper would, would say, you know, Wisconsin had, you know, the first black owned brewery and, and, and then it would tell kind of the story of Ted Mack, but it was always the same story, which was just that, you know, those, that very, you know, very small, uh, time, you know, window of time there. And, uh, and I thought, you know, there's got to be more to it than that. And so I started sort of looking into um, Mr. Mac. I don't, this is kind of going on a tangent. I don't know. Do you want me to? This is great. Going? No, uh, yeah, right. please. This is uh, <laughs> uh, regular so, listeners, to the, listeners to the show know that tangents are okay. pretty much the way of the whole thing. And yeah. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So I just sort of, I, I started uh, looking more into his life and, and realizing that, you know, the story was not, it's not just those first few or those, those few years, it's, it's his whole story leading up to it. And then what he had to go through. And so in 2017, I really started researching it, um, with dedication and, uh, uh, did a lot of research, finally sort of started putting pen to paper in about 2018. And, um, and yeah, and here we are. And, and, uh, I think I finished it, uh, <clears throat> draft wise, uh, about a year ago and took about a year to, to get a publisher and, Luckily, I got I was able to find McFarland and and they agreed to 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 set it out. So here here we here it is. So so much of this story um, was new to me, uh-huh. and I, you know I I you know think I know beer history a little bit. I'm certainly not a historian, but um, uh, and even going back through the all about beer archives back to 1979, I, I was hard pressed to find a um. Uh, a, a reference to Ted Mac, um, or uh, to 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 people's beer, um, and and so if we can sort of work backwards a little bit, tell me about the brewery pre Ted Mac. Okay, so People's Brewing Company was founded in 1911 in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Um, it started making beer about 1913. It took them a while to actually create the brewery, but it was created by a, a guy named Joseph Nigel. Um, who was a tavern owner in um, in Oshkosh, and and it was kind of a um, a response to the monopoly that Oshkosh Brewing Company had in 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 the the town of Oshkosh at the time, and um, he was he was tired of them just raising prices on them, and and he had a kind of a falling out with with their owner, and they they did a little you know some sort of shady stuff they for example uh weird yeah yeah <laughs> Ni- nigel N- surprising nigel, yeah yeah nigel uh sold them a lot for some reason across from his tavern so they built their own tavern he's like what are you doing i'm you know i'm your customer and anyway and so so he created this this brewery uh and it was really the focus of the brewery was going to be tavern based so it was all keg based at the time and and he got together kind of a consortium of tavern owners and um 
and created uh, People's Brewing Company and, and you know, just so they would have something other than than Oshkosh Brewing Company. And there was one more. There was RAR Brewing um, in Oshkosh at the time. Sure. Um, but it was it was much smaller and and didn't have a, a lot of a, a lot of market. Um, and so that that's sort of how it how it was founded. And then of course, uh, you know, and it was doing fairly well because it was again just basing on keg sales. They weren't even they I don't even think they were bottling before prohibition. And then of course prohibition shut them down. Um, after prohibition, uh, 1933, they started back up again. And they were uh, one of the few. How, w- yeah. Did they go dormant for the whole time? Was it? Um... You know, they they did go dormant for a while. They tried to do sort of what everybody else did, making near beer and making soda pop and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but eventually, they just kind of grew dormant. But they, you know, it was it it's it was an interesting setup in that the original um, the original incorporation, the bylaws stated that nobody could own a controlling share because they didn't. They didn't want a situation with like Oshkosh Brewing Company, where you had, um, you know, a very small group of people that owned everything and kind of pushed everybody out of the way. And so everybody, a lot of people owned it, and they all had a small share. So I don't, I don't know if they were depending on the income or the revenue. Um, and they were all kind of tavern owners anyway, or grocery store owners with a tavern. And uh, and so I don't think it was it was sort of their main bread and butter when it shut down allowing it to them to just say, you know, let's, let's go ahead and start it back up again because they had all the equipment still, they still had the brewery. Um, so they were able to, to get the production going again, once it was, uh, you know, 1933. Um, ver- and, and Oshkosh did as well. Oshkosh Brewing Company reopened as well. Right. Uh, and it was much bigger. It was about double the size of people's. Um, I can't remember exactly. I think, I think, Oshkosh's capacity was maybe like 90,000 gallons or I'm sorry, barrels mm-hmm. and uh, people's was more like 30 or 40 or something like that. So it was, it was much still, smaller. even by today's standards, that's, that's yeah. fairly impressive. I mean, not right. by the, the large guys, but I mean, in the, in the craft space to be doing 90,000 barrels a year is, right. you know, right. or even 30 is, is pretty dang impressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very impressive. And uh, yeah. And so they, they both kind of, they both came back um, and they were, their attention was that was still focused on kegged beer. Uh, I think they started bottling at that time, but um, but again, they were really focused again still on tavern sales. And um, they had a rocky patch in the sixties, fifties, and sixties were not kind to the brewing industry at all. I mean, um, there is huge amounts of concentration where you know Anheuser Busch and Pabst and Schlitz were just buying up competitors and shutting them down. Mm-hmm. Um, Pabst, for example, bought Blatt's Brewing Company uh, in like 1958, I think, and just turned around and just locked the doors, you know, and, uh, and that's sort of what was happening. Um, and uh, so they, they went through some rough times. They sold it actually to um, the heir to the Schlitz um, Brewery. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, Highline, Highline, I think is his name. He was He was a member of the board of Schlitz, but he wasn't the president of Schlitz at the time, although he was going to get it. And I guess he just kind of became impatient and decided to buy kind of a brewery. It's kind of a hobby for him. Right. Um, and uh, so he was, Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. He, he bought Oshkosh brewing company. My apologies. Okay. Uh, and then ran them into the ground, which he then later did with Schlitz. But uh, in any case, uh, you know, people was just kind of moving, moving along before Ted Mack approached them and he, he approached them and, and asked them, if they'd be willing to sell. And, uh, 
you know, the, the stockholders um, met on April 24th and uh, 1970 and, and the rest is, the rest is history. They all, they all agreed to sell. Yeah. So Ted had a pretty I mean, impressive career and a varied career before he walked into owning a brewery. He did. Yeah. He, um, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those stories that, <laughs> you know, you, you really don't hear them anymore, but it was, he was born a sharecropper in 1930 in, in uh, Alabama. And I mean, he really just, he was facing an uphill battle. Uh, to make anything of himself, you know, um, out in the country on a farm <laughs> with living with, with cousins and brothers. I think there's 13 of them in, in a little tiny, you know, shack. And, um, but his mom was really dedicated to education and making sure that he got educated. So with what education he could get kind of out in the countryside in Alabama, he, he took advantage of it. Um, and then, uh, you know, he eventually was able to go to high school, and um, he was drafted in, in high school. He played he played sports and he was a standout um, athlete playing football. Um, he uh, gets drafted in the army and he was able to leverage his time in the army with football. And <laughs> he gets he gets recruited to Ohio State, uh, gets a scholarship to Ohio State as a football player. I mean, just on and on. He's able to, to really find um, get breaks and take advantage of them. Um, you know, finally graduates uh, with a degree in social work, becomes a social worker, becomes a, a huge civil rights advocate, uh, leader in, in Milwaukee in the, in the 60s, um, you know, and then becomes a businessman after that. And, and uh, finally, you know, ends up um, putting this group together to buy, buy people's. It's, it's really impressive considering where he came from. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, I couldn't I couldn't imagine doing half of what he did. Um, but he was able to, and, and, you know, and it, it was a time when you don't have all the safety nets that we have now. Right. I mean, there were, there weren't financial, you know, there wasn't financial aid to go to college. It's you went to college on a scholarship or you paid your way and that was it, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, they, they didn't have, I mean, he, he, schools were segregated. Uh, in fact, you know, when, and Southern schools were segregated where he grew up. So, mm-hmm. You know, there's just there just weren't any of the of of the. I guess what I'm saying is it, it's it's even more difficult if you think of, of how little he had to work with, right? Yeah, uh, but he was able he was able to make it work. I mean, he, and he, um, <laughs> a very impressive career. And that's what that's honestly that's what made me compelled me to write the story because nobody else was telling that part of it. Um, it's like golly, I mean, he yeah he 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 did what nobody else what no other black person could imagine doing, which is buying a brewery in 1970. But everything that he did up to that point was, was truly amazing also. Yeah. And I know you detail a lot of that in the book and I want people to go um, uh, and and read it, but what, as far as your research can tell, um, drew him to the idea of owning a brewery. Um, well, I mean, there's so many other areas that folks could go into. And in the 1970s, when you think about the overall beer scene 
in the U.S. I mean, Jack McAuliffe wouldn't open up until the late 70s. Sierra's has not come around until the 80s. I mean, it was still like craft or independent or you know, micro wasn't even a word that people were 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 using at that point. I mean, beer was a, an afterthought even in the culinary uh, world in the U.S. So, what was the appeal? Well, um, he, I think uh, you make a really good point. Um, why the beer industry? And I, and I sort of touch on this at the end, and I and I sort of talk about it throughout. He was he 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 knew the beer industry because he he was hired um, by Pabst. He became a a manager, kind of a mid level manager for Pabst Brewing Company um, in the mid nineteen sixties, and um, he had he had before that he had said many times that what what black people needed to do was to enter corporate America. Um, he has this, this quote that says, you know, white people will give you welfare, but they're not going to give you industry, you know, so we have to get into industry ourselves. In other words, we have to own, <laughs> take possession of it and buy it ourselves. And so that was sort of the philosophy he already had. Um, and I think the, the brewery came along because he was in the beer industry. And, and I, I sort of say like if, if he had worked for a car company or a shoe company, you know, and the opportunity came up to, to purchase an, a, his own shoe company, that's what he would have gone into instead. But he happened to be in the beer industry. And, uh, and so I think that's what, uh, what he went into. His wife said he didn't drink. <laughs> so it was just kind of, funny. yeah. I, that, so, yeah. So, uh, so he, uh, but he went into the beer industry, I think, because he, he thought that he knew it. But as it turned out, it was probably the worst thing he could have gotten into uh, at that time. I mean, you know, now or 20 years ago, getting into the beer industry, um, you know, we see we see craft breweries still opening, um, not at the rate they were, but, you know, they, they're, they're still opening up all over the place. Um, but but, you know, the point that you make is 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 absolutely right. You don't. You know, in 1970, <laughs> the brewing industry at that time it was, it was about 160 or 180 brewers left yeah. in America, and uh, and they were just closing left and right. So, or uh, growing like gangbusters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so there wasn't a middle ground necessarily. Exactly, it was either super regional, like Yingling survived, you know, because they were super regional, um, or it was huge, like Anheuser Busch or one of those, right? Um, but there wasn't this mid level you know, size of brewery, they were just, they were just closing up. Um, and I think, you know, he just happened. Well, what, what started the fire was uh, under him was, um, as I said, uh, Pabst bought Blatt's Brewing Company there in, in uh, Milwaukee in mm-hmm. I think 1958 or something like that, turned around, immediately closed it. And then they were sued by the, by the U.S. government for antitrust violating antitrust legislature um because it was eliminating competition which is essentially sure. what they did and this is this is happening i mean uh you know eight years before i think anheuser-busch was sued for the same reason for doing the same thing to some other regional breweries and um so uh that that the the lawsuit went on and went on and it was finally um the federal government finally won it in about 19 67, 68. So at the time, Mac was working for Pabst, right? So he sort of knew what was going on with the Blatt's case and so forth. 
Well, the court decided that that Pabst had to divest itself from Blatt's, right? Because what they wanted is 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 if if they're suing them because Pabst is concentrating the brewing industry, then to make it right, they need to expand the brewing industry. And the only way to do that is to make Blatt's viable again, right? So Ted was again, he he would have been privy to all of this knowledge before it hit the papers or anything. Yeah. Uh, and so he he that was his opportunity. I mean, he saw it as his opportunity to to join the corporate structure, as he said, and to allow um, a group of black businessmen to buy an industry and to own a share of an industry. And that would serve to then uh, raise the black community. And, and their, their plan for Blatz was to really only hire um, or primarily hire from the black community. And so the managers and the, and the, the, just all the workers would primarily be black. That was their plan, their stated plan, yeah. which the papers <laughs> you know, had a field day with. But um, so, you know, that was, that was sort of, he, he saw it as a way to, to get into industry. And it just happened to be that particular industry, which as I said, was the worst industry he could get into at the time. Yeah. But I mean, the, the idea of raising people up through ownership, through employment, mm-hmm. um, was there also a marketing aspect to it as well of, you know, that's a ear to the community. That's a great, great point. And I, 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 I note that kind of throughout my book, he really struggled with that um, because he, he didn't want it to be seen as a black beer. Like his, when he bought people's brewing company, there was an immediately of this backlash, this sort of racist back, bigoted backlash. People were saying he's going to change it. He's going to start making black beer, which you can read between the lines as, you know, sure. poor quality and ghetto beer or something like that. And, uh, and so his reaction was to say, no, you know, I'm not making a, he says, I'm not making a black beer or a white beer. I'm just making beer, you know, I'm making a people's beer. So, but at the same time, he needed the black community to, to shift and to buy his product because his, his, in his prospectus for the company, uh, it, it points out that even a slight shift because that the black community bought a lot of beer and, and, and a slight shift towards his, his, his particular beer would uh, immediately increase sales. Mm-hmm. But they were they were counting on it, but at the same time, he wasn't exploiting it. He refused to exploit it, and I think that's because he he wanted to be seen as just a businessman. He didn't want to be a black businessman. You know what I mean? He wanted to be any other businessman, <laughs> right? And um, and I think maybe he thought that if he really t- tried to exploit the fact that that a group of black people owned that company then it would somehow um, decrease kind of uh, what they've done or, or, or lessen their stance maybe in the business community. Um, so it's a really, it was a really, it's a, it, there's a lot of tension there between sort of what he wanted to do, but what he did. <laughs> and, and, uh, um, and I don't, I don't think he really resolved it. Uh, he was, I don't think he was able to resolve it in, in the end. He, he, became really disappointed um, in the lack of support. And, and and also just the attacks coming his way as well. Where were the, where were the thrust of those, those attacks coming from? And who um, were they coming from? Yeah. So it was within the, it would, would have, it was within the Oshkosh business community. 
um, the tavern owners immediately um, stopped selling. <laughs> it's kind of like the Bud Light backlash. You know, they stopped selling it. Of what we're going through right now. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, they took it off the taps. Um, they said they wouldn't stock it anymore. And it was all because of these rumors um, that he was going to fire all the white employees. They had about 20 employees at the time. That they're, they're all going to get fired and replaced by black employees that they're going to, that the beer was going to be poor quality. It was, you know, going to be a black beer or something like that. And uh, so, you know, it immediately, and it immediately hurt sales. I think their sales decreased by substantially uh, well over maybe 20% or in the, in the high teens or something um, as a result of this. And because remember that like their, their, their main product was kegged beer uh, yeah. for the taverns. And so the taverns started pulling out they refused to order anymore. Um, and, and it was uh, at first loosely, but then it became kind of a more organized protest, um, according to the papers at the time anyway. Um, and even a year later, there were taverns that wouldn't put people's back on tap because um, it was owned by a, a group of black business people. So, um, you know, it, 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 it effectively really did hurt them uh, immediately. Yeah. And I, I imagine it must have just been supremely frustrating for him because, again, you know, this was a chance just to be in in the business, you know, in, in the in corporate America, be a be a part of that, um, not as black people, but as people, you know, as yeah. people. And uh, so I, I can imagine how how frustrating it must have been for him in those first in those first few months. Um. I always enjoy talking to authors who have done historical research because you spend so much time reading and learning about your subjects that by the time these conversations come around, these media conversations or, you know, around the bar or all that, you almost start talking about them like friends like intimate friends that you that 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 you know and 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 you've been speaking for ted mac um during the course of this conversation you know because of everything that 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 you've read um on this and um i i'm wondering you you referenced some of the papers um some of the stories at the time um how much research or how much um you know raw material was available for you to find um there's out there yeah quite a bit um there's actually a there's an archive at the university of uh, university of wisconsin milwaukee um there's an archive there uh left by the the secretary of the company um mr crosby um it was and it's like kind of bankers boxes i think there's like three bankers boxes filled with papers and that was actually what I did in 2017. I, I, I traveled to Milwaukee and traveled to Oshkosh. And then I went to the library archives and I digitized everything so that I would have it, be able to, to read through it. Um, and it, it results in about probably a, a two inch thick um, three ring binder. I mean, that's how, how much stuff there was in there. And um, so there, that there was one book um, that helped me. It was uh, it's, I think it was um, called the, um, the breweries of Oshkosh or something like that. It's out of print now. Um, but it was a really, it was a really good book and it told the history of the breweries in, in Oshkosh. But then there were hundreds of newspapers. Um, I just, it, it's, it speaks to 
the fact that a group of black people got into a very white industry in 1970, that there were so many newspaper articles um, detailing everything. I mean, every move that they made. Um, hmm. So I had a, I had a lot of, of newspaper articles to work with. Um, he did a lot of interviews. Uh, and this is and, that, and that's where you're able to get the perspective because because I, I guess what I was sort of getting at with this early question is you're speaking for him in a lot of ways and and the book is 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 um, chock full of that research but a lot of this and and when you're saying and I think he believes yeah was coming from his own words coming from his yes. own interviews that he gave yeah correct yeah and 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 luckily because there were so many he would oftentimes it would be about the same topic but there there might be a different perspective or um different things said like there were there were uh there were some um interviews that he did where there were you know multiple reporters present and one reporter noted something that the other didn't right um maybe something that he said or something that he did um and so i was able to get sort of this full view of, of a lot of a lot of what was sort of happening at the time um within you know obviously i i don't know his thoughts <laughs> you know? yeah of course but I know, I know what he said and I know how he acted and, um, and I know what a lot of the other documents said, uh, going back to, to when they tried to buy Blatz. I mean, he, a lot of that philosophy was written down into position papers, um, and it was carried forward through to, to the people's brewing company sale. So, um, you know, it's sort of a lot of the things that they, they believed were, um, luckily we have, we have records for a lot of that stuff. Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was, it was great at, you know, every time I'd find a new article, it'd be like, you know, finding new treasure. Right. Yeah. And, uh, um, I, I, and even up till, um, my, my publisher asked me to do some, some more work on some different areas. And, and so I did, did a little bit more research and was able to even find new stuff that I hadn't, I hadn't found before. Um, I think I've pretty much exhausted it now, but but I would, you know, find these little bitty, um, uh, you know, very small um, um, clips and in, in papers um, that would still add a little bit more and a little bit more to the story. So it's pretty yeah. it's been fun. Are there more stories like this out there? Do you think? I think so. Yeah, I think I think there are. Um, you know, there's. <laughs> Two stories that that uh, are are in my book that that are well. There's a few stories in my book. One of them actually, I'm I'm, I'm looking into more. There's um, you know, corruption in the beer industry was was a, a big um, part of this of this story. You don't have to use past tense for corruption, but yeah, that's fine. <laughs> okay, it, it, <laughs> a big part of the story, but uh, but it certainly affected him and what he was able to do. Um, and I started looking into the corruption in the u.s military and the beer industry and oh my goodness i mean the amount of of grift and bribery and stuff that was going on it it's just it's remarkable i mean absolutely remarkable um what they were doing to get their get their product on the shelves of a px you know on, on an army base or something like that or on the tap in a in a you know an air force base it's incredible I'd like to think it doesn't go on anymore, but, but it's just, uh, that, that's a story that I would actually like to, if I have time, I'd like to come back to. Um, but then there's also, you know, there's, there's 
you know, the story just generally of black beer. Um, there, there was a book, I think by that name that came out a couple of years ago, but it was, it was written for, from an academic perspective from sociologists. Um, but I think just the story of black beer hasn't been well researched yet. Uh, the history of it going back to, you know, unfortunately the founding of our, of our country and to slavery. Uh, but then back before that, you know, um, the, uh, you know, Egyptian brewing and, and, and the story of beer on the African continent. And, um, so I think that, that alone, um, if anybody is interested in, in a big (laughs) project, that alone would be a really cool project to to work on. Yeah. It's for, I mean, obviously, you know, historians and, and, and folks who are well-versed in research, um, have an education in that or a, uh, a, a certain skill set or 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 what but um for the amateurs for the curious for you know um the hobbyist kind of thing um where can you even begin to look for that first thread to pull that turns into uncovering a story like ted mac hmm. that's a good question i would i would say look look locally um you know, the story of beer in America is a story of thousands of breweries in the early uh, 20th century that were shuttered because of prohibition, right? Um, but those breweries have such a cool history, you know? They're neat stories for for all of them. Um, I live in New Mexico, and and there was a brewery called Acme Brewing Company up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. What a cool name, Acme. And I always think of like Donald Duck and you know, they'd always use Acme in the in the cartoon. Uh, the Looney Tunes, yeah. yeah it's yeah, Tunes, uh, um, right, yeah. yeah, Wiley Coyote. Yeah, well, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, and they had like it was really cool. And the ads, the the advertising for beer was outrageous in the early 20th century. You know, it was like, you know, they would promote it for good health and for family use, and kids love the our beer and stuff like that. I mean, um, so I would say look locally. Uh, if if you're if you're a hobbyist, you're an amateur, you're, you you know you want to find maybe some cool history, maybe the the beginning of a story. I would say what breweries were in your area a hundred years ago? Well, not a hundred years ago. Let's say one hundred ten years ago. Yeah. Um, and and I know that you'll find them because you know breweries at the time weren't national and they didn't have a national distribution network, so breweries had to be regional and local. Um, Find one of those, look at the advertisements, find out the history of them because they'll all have some kind of weird history. And and nine times out of ten, they were they were opened by an immigrant, probably Irish or German immigrant or something like that, or English. Um, you know, and and how did those people get there? I mean, those are these are really cool stories that that um and there's a market for them. You know, there's there there are companies or publishers that that want those kinds of 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 books. You know, want those kinds of stories on the bookshelves because it's kind of a local interest piece. Um, I would say start there. Yeah, start start local. See what 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 was around here a hundred you know twenty years ago. Yeah, what we're going to forget our history if uh, yeah. yeah if we don't keep looking into it and um, for sure. for we'll sure. be doomed to repeat it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you and I know that there were, gosh, I think there were four breweries that could, that. Uh, controlled what 80% of the brewing industry in, in the 1980s. That sounds about right. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, it became incredibly concentrated um, before the explosion of craft brewing. Um, 
but it wasn't like that. You know, it was, it was actually, it was a lot more like, like now where you could go to kind of any city and there'd be, you know, two or three, maybe local, local breweries. And, um, that's what it was. That's what it was like kind of across the U S and in like 1916 or 1915. Yeah. Um, And the stories of all those would be really interesting. I want people to go read this book. Um, it's, it's, it's well-researched. It's a, it's a forgotten part of, or largely forgotten part of, um, American brewing, uh, history. And also just, a, uh, I mean, it's despite how it ended, um, for Ted Mack, um, and, 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 and the other investors, um, I think it also shows a lot of the, uh, the grit that was to come and, you know, the promise for, uh, local beer that was to come just even a, a, a decade or so later on. Um, he definitely laid groundwork for, um, for those who, who, who came after. And obviously there's still a lot, a lot more work to, uh, to be done on those fronts as well. Um, I've been asking folks on the show, uh, the green door question, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you're familiar with the, the TV show, the good place or not, but, uh, in the final season of that show, they introduced the concept of a green door where you can walk through it and be anywhere you want, um, doing whatever you want with, with whoever you want to be with. So if we had a green door on our plane of existence and this conversation ended and you could be at any pub or any brewery anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? Oh, that's a great question. Okay. Let's see. Um, I have to make that a good one. Don't, don't I? You don't have it. it's it's your answer. It, it's it's going to be good no matter what. Um, you know the one that 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 um, jumps out at me is probably Bavaria, circa 14th century. Like, okay, how did lager happen? That's what I want to know. Okay, I don't understand that. Lager is such a weird thing. the The lager yeast itself is such a weird thing. Um. And there, there's there are theories that that you know maybe Columbus brought lager yeast back from uh, South America. <laughs> you know, I mean, how did they how did they come up with that? How did the monks discover that? Lager is hard to make, and um, beer is easy to make. I mean, beer is not ale is not difficult, but lager is difficult, um, more difficult, I should say. Yeah. How did they come up with that? I mean, it was, it's such a, it's such a random weird thing. And it just sort of all of a sudden it was there. (laughs) I don't know. That's, that's a truly nerdy, geeky answer, but, but uh, I think I'd like to, I'd like to figure that one out. Um, Okay. I dig it. I don't know. Like I said, that's truly geeky, but no, no, no. I, I I like it. Going back to your, to your earlier book though, what is uh, one bucket list bar that still exists these days that uh, everybody should Oh man! Point themselves towards and go and have an afternoon at. Yeah, that's a that's a good good question. Um, if I had one in the book, and I've 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 been asked this a few times, um, and I changed my answer. It's an, it's an, it, you know it's a it's a layup question for lazy reporters <laughs> yeah. like myself. Yeah, no, it's it's fine. No, I, there are so many good ones. Uh, where are you located, John? I'm in Jersey. You're in Jersey. Okay. Well, I mean, in in Manhattan, you've got uh, we well, got Fonces. Yeah, you, you've got. I'm not allowed there anymore, but yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you've got Old Town, you know. Oh, Old Town. 
you got the ear in the ear in is a, is a i mean you're yeah the ear in is a is a pretty magnificent place it um, is i mean there's there's not just, far from the entrance to the holland tunnel yeah uh, exactly yeah no i used to go down there my, my wife worked in that area for a while okay all right I'd, I'd i'd go in there an old town for for the really old folks yeah uh was the bar shop that they used at the beginning of late night with david letterman back on the that's nbc right. that's right that, yeah and and for the gen xers it was where they filmed uh jump around with uh um House of Pain. <laughs> is, is that true? I oh yeah, I didn't know that. Okay. That's the bar, that's the I don't bar know if I've ever actually seen that video. <laughs> it's a terrible video, but they're jumping around on the bar and, <laughs> and, and it's and that's and it's old town. So uh but it's a great that's a god, it's a great place. Yeah. McSorley's, of course. I mean of course. How can you not have you know a couple of couple of dark ales at McSorley's? One of each. Yeah. I think I think if there was one place that that if it was a a Friday afternoon. And I, I don't want to be at work anymore. I want to cut out and just get lost. There's a place in New Orleans called Snake and Jake's. And yeah, that's yeah. the place that would be. That place is, every dive is modeled on this place. It's, it looks like it's going to fall down at any moment. The interior is pitch black except for, for Christmas tree lights. Yeah. And you can just, you could be in there and you could be a That's a of- great two o'clock on a Friday afternoon bar. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And you could be. I mean, and you'll just be left alone, hanging out. Nobody will bother you. It doesn't matter what's going on outside the door in the, in the rest of the world. Um, you're just, it's an escape. So that's that's probably where I'd end up at, as Snake and Jake's. I love it. Um, now, now I'm going to start researching plane tickets um, or just go to my own local dive uh, since yeah, we're recording this on a, on a Friday headed into an afternoon. Uh, the book is called Ted Mack and America's first owned, first black owned brewery, the rise and fall of people's beer. Um, Clint, thanks for, for being on the show and thanks for, for writing this and for, um, sharing the story. I, I, I really appreciate the time and the insight. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And if I could, if I could say one thing real quick, of course, yeah, there's a, there's a brewery in, in Sacramento called Oak Park Brewer, uh, brewing company. They've actually partnered with, uh, Ted Mack's family. And they're making a tribute beer. It's people's beer, um, people's beer lager, and it's it's the formula. So if you ever if you want to taste this, if you read the book and you and you and you have you know you, you want to see what people's beer tasted like because it was a really good beer, you can get it from them. It, it's uh, it's a it's a delicious beer. So I'm glad and they make it. They're making it regularly now. It's like going to yeah. be part of their their lineup. That's great. That's, that's correct. Yeah. Yep. That's fantastic. Oh, I'm glad you 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 put that in there. I didn't want to. I wouldn't want to end the show without that information. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank you, John. I really appreciate it. What is a nugget of beer history knowledge that you've learned and has stuck with you? Email me and tell me about it. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. Or you can tell me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. That's also how you can get in touch with questions, comments, and guest suggestions. Don't forget, put FunkFest on your list of things to do this year. It's May 6th. It's coming up this week in Nashville with some of the very best brewers in the country pouring a really wide range of beers in a super relaxed setting. The ticket price includes food, and you can get yours by visiting the Yazoo website or by searching FunkFest on Eventbrite. I'm going to be there having conversations with brewers of note. So if you can't make it, stay tuned to this channel and we'll bring you that audio soon. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com. You can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and you can read great new content as well as the archives going back to 1979. 
Follow All About Beer on social media at All About Beer. And if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, email us at info at allaboutbeer.com or go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. A few bucks really does go a long way. Don't forget, Steal This Beer uh, happens every Monday. The BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. And all of the All About Beer shows can be found simply by searching All About Beer. If you're a fan of smoked beers, oh man, I need a vacation. If you're a fan of smoked beers, uh, check out This Week in Rauk Beer. The Facebook group is easy to search. And on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Beer. And on Tuesday, May 9th, we will see you at Camp Rauk Beer at Brewing and Blending. Check that brewery's page for more information. As for this show, before we go, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>